friends, and welcome to Real Relationship Talk. I'm your host, Dana Shea, and I'm super excited today about my conversation with my good friend, Dr. Jessica McLeese. Jess and I have known each other for several years, and she is not only a licensed psychologist and sex therapist, but she's a great, great friend. She is someone who walks the talk, and I love that Jess can talk about conversations like sex and pornography and orgasm and all kinds of sexual topics. And she can do it in a way that does not make us feel cringeworthy, uh, that does not make us want to run for cover. And speaking of that, I believe that the whole conversation around sex and our generation and in our culture is really just been inundated with so much shame and so much confusion and so much dysfunction. And I wanted to have this conversation because I want to lay all of that to rest. You know, regardless of whether you have a Christian worldview like I do or whether you are from another faith persuasion, I believe that sex is a gift from God to us. It's not something that we should be afraid to talk about, ashamed to talk about. It's not something that should um, elicit anxiety in us. And if it does, you need this conversation. Whether you're married or whether you're single, this conversation that I'm going to have with Dr. Jessica today is going to set you free in all areas of your sexuality. So take a listen. I want you to get somewhere quiet so that you can focus on this interview because I really believe that this is going to change your whole perspective. It's going to help you, those of you who are struggling with sex, with having conversations around sex and in your actual sexual relationship. So take a listen to my conversation with my friend, Dr. Jessica McLeese. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long and, you know, we're friends. So we talk outside of, you know, all of these conversations, but we've also had some uh, several intimate, intentional conversations, I should say. And you were a guest um, on on a course that I was teaching to wives. And so we had a great, great time. And so many other women who were in that course were really blessed by what you have to say. So I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for our friendship. I'm grateful for all that you offer to the world, really, and just what you do. Oh, thank you. I am echoing all of that for you, too. I, I'm so excited about the work you're doing um, and all the people that you're influencing. I, it's just beautiful that there are more and more Christians stepping up and taking uh, taking that role of speaking to brokenness in our sexuality and looking to how can we have this God-honoring relationship. And so I'm excited to partner with you today and Yay. do this. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Awesome. You know, you talk about um, God-honoring relationships, and I think the the topic of sex just in general, there's so much shame behind it. You know, I think of kids who like don't want to talk about their private parts and they come up with all these crazy words to describe them. And, um, and then I think of parents who don't want to talk to their kids about sex and pastors who don't want to preach their congregations about sex. And then of course, even in marriages where husbands and wives who are having sex still feel so uncomfortable talking about it. And so, there is a lot of, of shame. And, and I just wonder if you have any thoughts on why that is. 
Yeah, you know, there's so much around that. So you actually just mentioned a portion of it that I see happening, and that was, you know, kids want to call their their genitals private parts. But it's not just kids. It's actually parents that will teach that, right? So yeah. they'll talk to their child, point to your eye, point to your nose, point to your mouth. But then when it's bath time, it's like, oh, don't don't touch there. That's your privates. We don't, you know, we don't show those. We don't talk about those. And so it yeah. becomes, without the meaning to be a place of shame. Um, mm-hmm. So I am actually a really big fan of let's just call it what it is, like, while you're teaching body parts, okay, and now, sweetie, that's your penis. Where's your penis, baby? And it's okay to just be real about it instead of trying to hide these things. So I think part of it is being willing to say that all of our bodies are created by God. All of our bodies are good gifts that he has given us. Um, he created our genitals. I always tell people, you know, like he's not surprised what we did with them. Like <laughs> he knew this was happening. It was part of it. He his had a plan for the genitals. He did. Yeah. <laughs> it's more than just um excreting waste from the body, right? This is actually something that that he designed as part of his plan for our enjoyment and for us to understand um, goodness of God, really, and understand his love for us. And so, um, so they're not, our parts are not something to be shameful of. Any parts that we have are not something to be shameful of. Um, but unfortunately, there's been these messages and it starts there in childhood, but it goes into adolescence as well and young adulthood. And so it's not uncommon for Christians to intermarriage with such a shame-based picture of sex that they have a really hard time saying, hey, this is good. Um, I, I mean, I can't even guess how many couples, because the number is so great, that I've worked with where that's exactly what they say. Like, we know mm-hmm. sex is a gift. We know that it's from God. We know God blesses it. Help me understand why we can't enjoy it. And wow. that's part of what's going on. That shame is so deeply rooted in, in such a huge part of who, who they are um, that they have a hard time turning off the sex as sin and coming into instead of sex as a gift from God. Um, when reality, sex is not sin. Sex right. out of the confines of marriage is what's sin. And so it's where the behavior is occurring not the behavior itself. And I think we got to be careful about how we teach this message to others because sex is good, but it does have proper boundaries. Right, right. So let me ask you, Jess, so how did you get into this work? Like what made you decide I'm going to be a sex therapist? <laughs> yeah. So I sat down with my parents and they kind of told me this would be a good job. <laughs> Not <laughs> right. really. <laughs> right. As they were teaching you about the names for your private parts. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no. So part of it does come from my own past and my own, uh, my own brokenness. So I had a lot of sexual abuse, molestation all the way up to rape. Um, and so there were issues I was working through in my own, um, in my own life. And so the joke amongst therapists is we become therapists to heal ourselves. Mm, <laughs> and there is yeah. some truth and reality to that. Um, yeah. So part of it was that. Um, the other thing that really pushed me though. So I knew that I had to work on that, but I didn't really think that that would turn into actual working with others on their own sexual brokenness. Mm. Um, But I do remember knowing that God had called me into that and then kind of praying almost like Moses did, right? Lord, why me? I can't speak. And for me, I was like, uh, Lord, are you sure about this? Because I am the broken one. Like I don't have what it takes. Um, So that was part of my journey in this. And then the other part, as soon as I started working with clients and um, this was back last half of 2008, early 2009, I was working with couples um, and individuals and over and over again, I kept seeing cases of sexual brokenness. Um, So certainly that applied in marriage, but it applied in individuals I was working with too, where I would see trauma or I would see just this history of sexual brokenness that they were seeing in their families, whether, uh, you know, whether it was affairs. Um, I even had a client who 
had a history of pedophilia in their family, mm-hmm. not them, but in their mm-hmm. family. And so there was these trauma messages that kept coming up. And I began to realize that me being broken in my sexuality and needing healing was not a solo experience, but it was actually experience common to many individuals. Um, so those things led to me wanting to pursue, the, wanting to pursue this track. Um, and I did it as a Christian sex therapist, because to me, first of all, full healing can only come through Christ anyways. But beyond that, I wanted to make sure that any techniques, anything that I was teaching on actually did have biblical basis to it. It wasn't something um, that I was making up or coming up with that might be helpful. That's so good, Jess. I love that you come from a Christian worldview. You know, I, in my work, obviously I'm a pastor and what I do, um, everything revolves around that Christian worldview. But I think that in the church as Christians, there's still so much shame and so much brokenness. And I think that if we as a church and we as believers and people of faith can can get around that and realize that this is a beautiful thing that God created for us to enjoy. Sex isn't just like you said, you know, uh, just for our genitals weren't just made for excrement and sex was not just created for procreation, but it was also created and given to us as a gift to be able to experience intimacy and joy and pleasure. Pleasure. And so I love talking about sex. I think it's so interesting because when I when I tell people sometimes, you know, oh, I'm going to be doing whether it's a live video or whether it's another conversation around sex, you see like you just see like the, the wall of shame that comes upon people like, why are you talking about that? And I'm like, are you serious? Like, if we're going to talk about communication and marriage, if we're going to talk about finances and marriage, we have got to be just as intentional, if not more, about having these conversations around sex and marriage. And so I want to know, Jess, when we think about um, some of the problems that people are experiencing, the people that you work with in your practice, for example, um, is there an underlying root cause for some of the sexual dysfunction that you see? Or would you say that it's a combination of things? I would definitely say it's a combination of things. So part of it can be actually just a biological cause. So we don't want to ever negate that part or not take that in um, into account. Um, so things like erectile dysfunction and orgasm difficulties and painful intercourse, all of those can indeed have a biological function. And sometimes they are strictly 100% biological. And then that leads to anxiety and tension. And so we have that other piece that we have to deal with, but there are definitely times when it starts out as a biological concern. So that's one root cause. Um, The other piece, we just talked about the whole shame with sex and certainly when couples are experiencing or when an individual even in the marriage is experiencing shame um, or has had a lot of negative messages about sex, then that can, of course, lead to dysfunction and problems in the sexual relationship. Um, There are people that sometimes enter the sexual relationship expecting kind of like, you know, fireworks and swinging from the chandeliers the first Mm -hmm. night. And then they realize, oh, actually, that wasn't quite my experience. And so they can have these disappointments that then become, Mm -hmm. it colors the way they see sex because they think, well, gosh, I waited and I was promised for my church. If I just waited, it would be amazing and fantastic. And then the Mm -hmm. first time was kind of not. So what does that mean? Either the church lied or something is wrong with me. And so it creates a lot of tension trying to figure out what what does this mean moving forward? And that can negatively impact the relationship. Um, And that's just portion of it, right? We could go on and on about all the possible root causes. Um, But I would say, yeah, it's humans are multifaceted, we're complex. And then when there are issues related to sexuality, much of the time, it's really complex as well. 
I gotcha. So this might be a little controversial, but what is your opinion of past sexual partners? Like, do you feel like if someone has had a lot of past sexual partners, do you feel that that contributes to the dysfunction in their, in their sexuality and their marriage, for example? Yeah, you know, it certainly can. So um, I think maybe a better way to say it would be that there are consequences to our behaviors and some of our consequences are positive and some are negative. And there's a lot of negative consequences that come with having previous sexual partners. Um, So think of things like the expectations we just talked about, right? So if you expected sex to look a certain way um, and it doesn't, that can be disappointing. And you, maybe you think you deserve better or deserve different. Well, the same thing can happen when you've had previous sexual partners. So if you had a previous partner, maybe um, that was really easy to arouse and then you get married and maybe you became a Christian in between that. So now you're, you're saving yourself for marriage and then you get married and you realize, wow, it's really hard to get my spouse aroused or they have a lower desire level then you can be really disappointed and think, why well, should have something else? And so it can color what you believe you should have in marriage. That's mm-hmm. a definite um, negative piece. There, there are other consequences. What if you get a sexually transmitted infection, right? And then you bring that to your marriage and then you guys have to figure out how do we keep each other safe now that we have this extra complicated factor. Um, there can be kids born out of wedlock and then you go into marriage and you're like, oh, by the way, I also have a four-year-old that I'm bringing along with us. So this can happen too, right? There's just a lot of consequences. Um, and that doesn't even account for some of the emotional consequences that can take a, a um, take a serious toll on people. Um, so if you find yourself... Um, maybe even still missing a previous lover or comparing a new lover to an old one. Like all of these are just negative consequences that that the better option is to not have those things happening before you get married. Um, But, you know, thank, thanks be to God, right? He's a healer and a redeemer and a restorer. So you can have those things have happened to you and still intermarriage whole and fresh and God can still make good out of your past and you can have a really thriving sexual relationship, but there is more baggage there when there's been other people involved. Right. You know, I was going to talk to you about soul ties. And I think that this conversation, it is controversial. I grew up in a, in a church where we were fed this belief that if you have sex with someone, you enter into a, a covenant with them, a physical covenant, a spiritual covenant with them. And, um, and then you're going to have issues down the road. And I like how you actually just talked about baggage. I feel like that might be better because we are not animals. I was thinking about this this morning. Uh, I was walking my dog this morning and, you know, my dog would hump any dog, any, fe- he's a male. <laughs> so any female dog that is walking by, he doesn't, he doesn't want to engage in conversation and barking with them. He would hump any female dog that he saw. And I think that humans, we are not animals. Yes, we're a part of an animal kingdom, but we are not animals. And so to think that we can just engage with having sex with no kind of emotional attachment you know, you're the therapist, but I I just don't think that that's reality, even if our culture is telling us that that is the reality. Because what we see in the music videos and what we hear um, from television shows or from media or whatever, it, it there is this notion that we can separate our emotions from the physical act. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So 
I like that you're bringing this up because I actually, um, you know, you and I are friends and you gave me a little heads up. Some of the questions you would be asking <laughs> and uh, soul ties was one of them. And so I have to say, I actually um, am not really familiar with that word at all. So I did research for like the last several hours looking into this, like, what does this mean? What are people talking about? Um, I, and then I got like biblical language expert, right? Let's look at the Shema and see what it said about the soul and the heart and the strength. And let's see what all this means. Um, And so I was seeing, I believe that it is really the heart of that message is trying to talk more about the emotional connection. Um, At least as a psychologist, that's what I see. So there's an emotional bonding and a connectivity that happens. Um, So first of all, sex is designed to help us bond with one another. Um, That is part of what happens. So our bodies on a neurochemical level are reducing or I'm sorry, producing and releasing oxytocin oxytocin is the bonding chemical. Um, you also produce it when you're pregnant and when you're nursing, I believe that's designed by God because you have the pain of childbirth, but then it's followed by the oxytocin bonding of nursing. So you can love that baby that just caused so much pain in your physical body. Um, so it's a good thing and God gives it to us. Now, oxytocin can only actually be released when trust is also present in the relationship. This is why if um, someone is raped, so I have that history, right? I didn't form a bond with my rapist. I never, you know, when when that was able to be severed, I wasn't like, oh man, I wonder how he's doing. Like I Mm. think about him because there was no bond there. There was no trust. There was no oxytocin release. We could not form an attachment. Um, And so we got to keep that in mind too. So people actually can separate their emotions from sex. They can do that um, by dissociating. So they're not actually present. Um, They can do that by recalling images of pornography while they're having sex with someone else. And so they're not actually with that person. They're really mentally with somebody else. Um, So it can happen, but that is an incredibly broken form of sexuality. And so whether or not a bond forms isn't what tells us if it's a healthy sexual choice. So to have sex outside of the committed relationship, how God designed it, to have sex outside of marriage is setting yourself up for these emotional bonds. Um, And you may not feel an emotional connection, but you are teaching yourself a very, very poor message of I can have sex and it means nothing. And what happens if you enter marriage thinking, well, we can have sex, but it doesn't mean much. Like that can lead to all kinds of problems, right? So if sex isn't what connects us, if sex doesn't set us apart from any other relationship, like then sex is cheapened. And when it's cheapened, all you can expect is one problem after another. So there is this um, sanctified, holy experience with sex, right? It's set apart for the husband and wife, but we can definitely make it not what it was intended to be. And it causes destruction um, in our lives. It causes destruction in our marriage. And I think the biggest issue with that is it can lead to what the scripture calls us a cold heart. And mm-hmm. so if I can have sex with anyone I choose to, and I don't feel any kind of bond or any connection, what that tells me is I've got a cold heart. And that's really hard to turn toward God at that point. And it takes, um, it takes some renewal that, that I, I don't even know what it would take, honestly, for the Lord to pierce that cold heart, because it looks a little scary when we read it in scripture as if almost someone, um, it doesn't have a willingness or an ability even to turn toward God at that point. Um, So we shouldn't play with that for sure. So Jess, that's really, really good. I think about people, for example, I did a video uh, probably a good year and a half ago on sexless marriage. Mm -hmm. And that video to this day, I'm still getting people commenting on that video. And there are a couple of comments from that video 
from men and women who said, what if you just don't have a sexual desire? What if there is no, no desire at all to engage in sex? And so of course my, my heart goes out to the spouse because I'm like, oh my goodness, like how painful would that be to be married to someone who has zero desire? So not only are they not initiating, but they're not engaged in it at all. And so what do you think about people who have no desire? Is that, do you think, partly because of some of the trauma or dysfunction? Or should we just kind of let people be and maybe some people just don't have a desire? Yeah. See, again, like people are complex, right? So there can be a lot of reasons for a lack of sexual desire. Um, again, it can go back to um, those shame messages. Absolutely. So if you believe something is wrong or unholy or gross or sick in some way, of course, you're not going to want that thing in your life. Right. So part of it can certainly go back to those shame messages. Um, sometimes hormones can be involved. So when we're assessing for a lack of sex drive, one of the things as therapists that we'll actually do is we'll, we'll try to figure out, has this always been the case for you? Has this been the case more recently? So is your low desire a change or is it something you've always dealt with? Um, so there can be some biological issues for sure. Um, mental health can do it as well. So if you're suffering with depression or from anxiety, um, sometimes even people with OCD will feel like there's a contamination that occurs with the bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. And so they're um, not very interested in sexuality. Um, and I've found in my work that sometimes that can happen with autism as well, um, because they just don't have that. Um, uh, people with autism struggle to enjoy the uh, sensory feelings that the rest of us like. So they don't like the the touching. It feels. Oh, kind yeah, of, that makes um, sense. Yeah, it feels kind of. Yeah. So there can be all of that that goes into it as well. So it can be mental health related. Um, so there we've got mental health, theology. It can be physically related as well. So again, a very complex issue, right? Right, And right. then grow into that, sometimes it can be trauma related. So I have known of wives who will have this low desire. And then as we get to know one another and get to know the couple, um, it's it's for two reasons. First of all, maybe the husband had a porn addiction and he still has it. And he's like, well, you're not sleeping with me. So I got to, you know, I got to do something. Mm -hmm. And then she has all this obligation of I'll never be enough for you. And somehow I'm supposed to fall in love and meet your needs and feel connected during sex, which again, oxytocin can't be released if you don't have trust. So that creates an issue. And then other times it can be uh, more trauma related than that. So maybe the husband is, um, you know, spitting out scripture, you must do this. It's your, it's your command from God because we're married and you have to. And of course, nobody can freely do something that they're forced to do. And so that takes away from having a healthy sex life too. Um, So do I think we should leave them alone? No, I think we should talk about it. I think we should figure out what's going on. But I also don't think that when there's a sexless marriage, that our focus should be on the one that has the low desire. Our focus has to be on the couple. Like I, I cannot say it often enough, but if you're talking about sex, you're not talking about a single person issue, whether you're having mm-hmm. sex or not. You're talking about a couple issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's treat it as one. And let's oh talk about the couple together and figure out yeah. what the world is going on that's causing this concern. That um, is so good. No, that's so helpful. I think you just saved a lot of marriages, honestly, because I think that a lot of times when people are thinking about their marriage is being sexless. There's again, added pressure, added shame. So if you already feel bad about sex and then you're not performing or you have no desire, then that extra shame. So coming at it from a holistic 
uh, viewpoint, I think is super, super helpful. So what do you, and you don't have to give us all like your techniques. um, (laughs) What do you, how do you advise couples who are facing this? Like, do you, it's not a matter of just saying, we'll go home and put on a negligee and have sex. Like it's much deeper than that. So is this more of a, I need to see you for several months type situation. Let's dig into your past. Like, how do you, how do you advise couples in that way? Yeah. So again, you know, it is couple by couple specific to the actual needs that are coming in. Um, But from a general stance, there are protocols to help with things like a sexless marriage. Um, There are protocols to help with desire difference um, levels in a spouse. So if one has a higher sexual desire than the other, um, there are protocols to help with that. There are protocols to help with erectile dysfunction and orgasm difficulties. Um, that's for men and women. There are mm-hmm. protocols for pain with sex. So we do have really good standards that work. Um, and you were saying a while ago, you know, as a pastor, when you're talking about sex, people are like, what? <laughs> well, they do that as a sex therapist too. Um, oh, especially as a Christian sex therapist, people wonder, well, what in the world are you doing in your office? And um, my husband, Jacob, has actually had people ask him, like, you allow your wife to do that? And in their head, it's something very different than it is. Um, Mm. So just to clarify that, sex therapy is a talk therapy type program. Um, couples have lots of education they receive when they're in the office. And so, um, you know, it's actually, it's quite surprising how little sometimes couples know even just about how the body actually works. Um, so they, they may be missing a great amount of information just mm-hmm. in how sex can be good and what they can each do to enjoy the process. Um, so there's a lot of education. There's education regarding the effects of trauma. Um, if there's mental health complications, there's education regarding those mental health complications and how we can heal from those. Um, And couples do actually have intimacy building assignments, both with their communication and with actual touching exercises that they go through. And so there is a set standard. There's a set protocol that helps couples. It's different depending on the particular issue and the concerns that the couple comes in with, but that would be kind of a general um, teaching of what we do in the office. That's so good. I love that you touched on communication, Jess, because I feel, and again, I understand everyone listening to this does not have a Christian worldview. There are people of other faiths, but I find that in the church, going back to this sex kind of being taboo and even in marriages. And I wish we could do a whole conversation. Maybe I'll bring you back because I I, I want to talk about so many more things, but one of the things is this whole um, women, especially not being able to orgasm. And that is like as taboo as it gets, right? Like you're not going to talk about that in church, right? Probably not going to have a sermon, yeah. Right, but we should, right? Because I, I mean, it's it's important. And I find that couples, at least the couples that, I've, that I work with, it, it, they're not having these like really intimate conversations. They're not talking about what turns you on. They're not touching and saying, I'm going to put your hand here. This is what gives me pleasure. And I wish that we could be more open. I wish that couples would be more communicative in in the actual act. And maybe they need to do it before. I don't know. How do you how do you think in a perfect marriage, what would communication about sex look like? So first of all, when you're gonna talk about sex, um, I would say a lot of times those conversations should happen outside of having sex. Um, okay. so you don't necessarily want to, you know, have an intimate moment with your spouse um, and then be like, Hey, by the way, I should have brought this up before, but <laughs> I don't like that at all. So maybe next time. Got like, it. 
man, do that before you have sex, right? Yeah, Talk about yeah. the things that feel good and the things that don't. And then you can do that right afterwards too. So there's a, a stage of sex that sometimes gets left out and it's called the afterglow. And so it's after orgasm is over and you're just kind of hanging out as a couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you can use that time to talk a little. You can. You, it doesn't have to be about sex. Um, that's like your pillow talk time, right? It could be about anything. Yeah. But when it's about sex, you can specifically note like, hey, that thing you did right there, that man, that was good. Like, right. Try to remember that and bring that back next time. Um, so you can offer up that advice. You can talk about how great of an experience it was for you. Um, and after you've done some of that and talked about the pleasant, that's when it's okay to say, hey, you know, there was this one thing that I kind of, it didn't feel right. I think maybe a different position would work better. Like, whatever the case may be. Those are your first steps, right? Now, mm-hmm. as a couple, if you can do that well, then you you find that it's much more free to do that during intimacy. Um, so if something's happening and you're like, oh gosh, we need a different position right now, this kind of hurts, mm-hmm. then there's freedom to do that because neither feels like, oh, I'm not enough. Oh, right. I can't please you. You're actually yeah. able to have that conversation and others should be able to say, oh, okay, yeah, no problem at all. Let's move. Let's try this instead. Um, and then you do have that freedom. So communication is key. Um, we just got to be really gentle with our lover when we want things to go well. Um, um, and so, yeah, talk. If you've never done it before, do it outside of sex. Um, if you're trying to learn this for the first time and you and you don't want to forget what's important as far as that sexual activity just went, and do it afterwards. Um, and then you can slowly start bringing it in, in the moment communication, talking about what's going on right then. Yeah. I love that you talked about the afterglow. I call it the glory cloud, right? Uh, (laughs) And it's like, it's such a, I think so many couples, this is why like me personally, I don't like to have sex and then go to work. Like I I feel like there's a, there's a a missing element that some people will just skip over. It's like, okay, we had sex, let's go to sleep. And of course it's, you know, if you're, if you're enjoying yourself, it's going to put you to sleep. (laughs) Um, However, I do think that that is such a great time to have those conversations. I'm so glad that you pointed that out. And I'm so glad that you talked about how to share your, your dislikes, if you will, in a gentle and a loving way, because I think that for women, sometimes women don't realize how vulnerable sex makes men. And Mm -hmm. so that I found in my own marriage, like constant affirmation, telling Sean what I like, telling him, um, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details of what I say, say. but you know, just, just being very communicative and letting him know, like, you're doing an amazing job, buddy. Like, good job. I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) I I remember being told, so my parents one time were talking about a, I guess a meal that my mom had cooked and, and Jacob and I were there. And so my dad made some kind of joke about, well, you can't tell a wife when her cooking's not good. And Jacob was like, Oh no, you can. He's like, do you think I want that meal again? If I didn't like it? No, Mm. it's the same thing with sex. Right. So so if you don't tell your husband, Hey, I actually don't like when you kiss that part of my stomach, it makes me feel really anxious. He's going to keep doing it. Like let him know what doesn't feel good. Um, which by the way that you can work on as well, where it doesn't cause anxiety and you can actually enjoy those things. And that's probably a whole nother talk altogether. Right. Um, But yeah, the communicate, it's just so key. A huge part of sex is the communication. Yeah. Wow, Jess. So we have to bring you back to talk about orgasm, (laughs) pornography, where to touch and how to relieve anxiety. There's so much more that we can talk about. (laughs) Um, I love, I love this conversation. I wish we could talk forever, but I want to know as we kind of bring this plane to a landing, 
how would you advise? Cause again, there's, there are people who are listening who are, uh, or who are Christians who are of other faiths who maybe feel like they don't have a faith at all. And sex is something that does affect us all. Um, yeah. I think that if you're, if you're an adult, then you are probably engaging in sex, um, unless you are, you know, completely honoring a vow of celibacy. So I want to know if you had one piece of advice for couples, for married couples, because again, that's kind of the worldview that we are coming from today. Mm -hmm. If you had one piece of advice, what is something that every couple could do today to have better sex tonight? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So, you know, we just talked about communication and so I don't, you know, want to beat a dead horse here or anything. Um, but a big part of it is just simply saying, hey, let's work on this. Um, and I think a lot of times when people try to talk to their spouse about sex, it, it gets a little more focused on, hey, you work on this and mm-hmm. here's how you can. Um, but we got to take a team approach, right? Sex is between two people. Um, if it's all by yourself, we call that masturbation. Right. So <laughs> sex is between two people. Yeah. So if you're going to, if you're going to involve Um, another person in your life in any activity and especially with sex and you want that to be improved, it's not something you do on your own. Um, So, or that the other does on their own. So I would say if you, if you want to improve your sex life, start by having a very specific conversation with, uh, with your spouse, start with, Hey, I think we should be having really great sex. Do you agree? Uh, Mm -hmm. Most spouses aren't going to be like, Eh, nah, not for me. <laughs> yeah. um, so most spouses will be spouses will be like, yeah, I do agree. Um, and then you guys can say, hey, what do you think about just practicing that tonight? Like tonight can be a night that's all about us really enjoying ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter how long foreplay lasts. It doesn't matter how long it takes to get to an orgasm. It doesn't matter if it happens quickly or slowly. It's really just about us enjoying ourselves. Are you game for that? Um, most spouses aren't going to say, nah, not really. And <laughs> right. if they do, please seek counseling, friends. Yeah. Please seek counseling for that. Yeah. Um, because there is hope for your marriage and there's hope for your intimacy and it can improve. Um, and if you think, well, we've tried everything, look for the thing you haven't tried. Like, have you gone to an actual sex therapist? Like, mm. have you done that part? Have you dedicated your marriage and your sex life to God? Like, have you, have you prayed about the areas of discontent before you actually have sex? Like, I don't think most people have tried everything when they feel like they have. Yeah, that's such, such great advice. So why don't you tell everyone, speaking of sex therapists and seeking help, why don't you tell our listeners how they can find more about you? Are you working on anything? Do you have anything in the pipeline? Just tell us a little bit about how people can connect with you. Sure. So my best place to contact me is on my website. It's befullywell.com, like the command to be fully well. So it's befullywell.com. Um, you can find me there. You can find all of my social media channels there. Um, I um, even have a, a, a page for like blogs and free guides and YouTube videos, all of that you can get right on my website. Um, so that's the primary way. All my contact info is there as well. Um, and then, yes, I do have something in the pipeline and maybe it'll be released by the time that you're releasing this podcast. Um, but I am creating a course that's all about improving your sex life. And mm. it is from a Christian worldview. Um, it's going to be really great on-demand videos that you can watch as many times as you need to if certain concepts are difficult. Um, And it's going to be an excellent package where I take everything that couples have needed. I put it in video format where it's easily digestible. Um, So couples can get that information and they can start putting things into practice right away, um, which is ideal 
for the couple who says we don't really want to come to counseling and talk mm-hmm. to somebody, but they can get that information and start those conversations in their own marriage. Awesome. And we will have links to all of that in the show notes. We'll have a link to the course and to Jess's website. So Dr. Jessica McLeese, which I'd never call you that, but <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for all that you shared. I, I can't wait for this interview to air. I really think it's going to help so many couples. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation today. Thanks for having me, Dana. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Wow. Well, that was an amazing conversation. I am so grateful for Jessica. I could literally listen to her for hours. Jessica, she's just the real deal Holyfield, man. I don't know what else to say. So again, thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I pray that the information that Jessica shared about sexual intimacy and how to have a more communicative relationship with your spouse concerning this area of sex has really inspired you to do something different. We don't want to just hear good information. We actually want to implement that in our marriages. So be sure to visit her website. Again, you can find her at BeFullyWell.com and you can take a look at the courses and all the other great info that Jess has over on her website. Hey, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to this podcast? If not, what are you waiting for? I know that I personally only listen to the podcast in which I'm subscribed to. So be sure to go ahead and subscribe or follow wherever you're listening. And also be sure to give this podcast a rating. For a new podcast like mine, ratings are absolute gold. Well, thank you all so very much for listening. You can find out more about Real Relationship Talk and me, Dana Shea, over on my website at danashea.com. I will see you all on the next episode. Take care. We've been drowning in the dark till I hope was I'm a lost without you. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.